the city without parks would be a pretty terrible place to live in. Um, and so by themselves, the parks aren't generating money. But without them, Sydney or any other city, right, would be a worse place to live in and therefore would be a poorer city to live in by itself. So take that same logic and just apply it to a green roof. You're taking a, a, a bit that was a very boring place. I don't know if you've ever walked around the roof in a building. I'm sure you have, right? It's great. It's boring. It's like dull. It's a, you know, full of grills and, and things that, um, that just make it very annoying. But if you turn that into a green space, it's actually increasing the value of the building. We really want to encourage building owners to look at nature, not as a cost, but as an incredible opportunity. It's brilliant in its simplicity. It just, um, people need to be more aware of it. And I suppose that's, that's where we're getting at with this, uh, this conversation. In this episode, we are exploring why solar panels and green roofs are a match made in heaven and what incentives could increase the uptake of green roofs. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Marlene Even. Australia, a sunburnt country. Solar energy makes sense for our sunny landscape, but there is a catch. What a lot of people don't realise is that solar panels do not operate optimally over 25 degrees Celsius. And we're blessed in Australia to have so much sunlight, but often the temperature is above 25 degrees Celsius, so they're not working to their best ability. My name is Dr. Peter Erger. I am an environmental engineer at the University of Technology, Sydney. Dr. Peter Erger set out to find if green roofs could be the solution to making solar panels more efficient. To do this, he and a team of researchers created a unique experiment in Sydney. They chose two buildings adjacent to each other. First is International House, which is our control roof. It just has photovoltaic panels, which is like a really good sustainability initiative. Um, but the other building, Daramu House, it also has photovoltaic panels, but it has a green roof uh, integrated in the roof as well. So that's what's known as a biosolar uh, green roof. The project is taking place in Barangaroo, a suburb on the northwestern edge of Sydney's CBD on the harbour foreshore. The research project is supported by the City of Sydney, Lendlease and Junglefly. It's Australia's first biosolar green roof study. Well, it's very rare to have two identical buildings located in the same geographical location, um, except one of those buildings not having an attribute that you want to study or one having that attribute. So it's a very unique opportunity. Robert Fleck, a PhD candidate at the University of Technology, Sydney, is a principal investigator of the project. He says they've been able to uncover a broad range of findings in their research. We were able to do quite a comprehensive analysis of a multifaceted project. So there's a lot of research out there on um, can a green roof help solar provision or can a green roof promote biodiversity or can a green roof do stormwater management, but nobody's really done any of it at the same time. 
Robert found that the surface temperature is greatly reduced on the green roof. The surface temperature assessment was between, I think the highest I got was about 25 degrees cooler on the green roof than it was on the conventional roof, which means sort of the surface temperature of the plants was about 20 degrees, where the surface temperature of the concrete was above 45 degrees. Without the plants providing a cooling effect, Robert had a much warmer experience measuring the temperature on the conventional rooftop. He describes it as being like a fan-forced oven. Where if you don't have the plants there, the top of the solar panel will hit the sunlight, it'll heat up, and that excess heat will be radiated downwards towards the concrete, which will then capture that heat and then it'll radiate it back up. So by having the green roof there, not only does it cool and insulate the building, but it can also cool PV panels um, through uh, that insulation effect, as well as um, through evapotranspiration. You have this thing called evapotranspiration, where the plants will, during photosynthesis, they release oxygen, as we all know, but they also release moisture into the air, which they trap through their roots. And it's that sort of off-gassing of, of oxygen and moisture that's cooler than the ambient environment that creates um, a very, very small localized microclimate that is cooler than another region. So the moisture within the substrate and the plants underneath the panels will cool them from the underside. And in doing so, we can now generate more electricity from these panels. And exactly how much electricity was generated from the solar panel on the green roof in eight months? In that period, it, it earned or saved about $2,500 in energy costs. And in the same period, we offset about 9.9 tonnes of CO2 equivalent greenhouse gases, which translates roughly into having planted 110 trees in that eight month window. As part of the research project, Robert regularly visits both rooftops. Get up onto the green roof and I'd be taking all my measurements on the green roof um, and I'm looking at the sun sort of tracking across the sky and I'm like, okay, I've got about 10, 15 minutes before I need to be on the conventional roof. Um, you know, I'll just quickly check the thermal camera and, you know, it's like a, a nice 28 degrees or 25 degrees. I'm like, okay, that's not too bad. And then you get onto the, <laughs> onto the conventional roof and you've got 60 plus. You know, and, and my my security detail who would come up with us onto the conventional roof is like, ah, oh, sorry guys, we're gonna wait in the stairwell. Or, you know, like, let, let us know when you're done up here, it's, it's too hot. Uh, and obviously I'm carrying around a backpack full of really heavy scientific equipment. Um, and there's 30 minutes worth of measurements to take, there's no shade. And like, you try and get out of the sun and make yourself small, but you end up just getting closer to the concrete and the concrete's so hot. And so, <laughs> so that was definitely something to experience. 
think the idea of cooling panels is not that new. For example, in rural New South Wales, farmers are putting solar panels on flotation devices and putting them on their farm dams to keep them cool. In Saudi Arabia, they spray water on the panels and recirculate um, like an irrigation system, uh, not only to clean the panels because it's very dusty in Saudi Arabia, but it also cools them. But the, the simplest way that we found is, is if you just um, have solar panels uh, next to vegetation. Vegetation has this uh, great way of modulating you know, heat. It can cool the panels in that way. And you know, we've got so many solar panels across the, um, the city on rooftops, but um, we don't have too many green roofs there yet. The cooling effect of green roofs and green infrastructure is also well known to combat the urban heat island effect, a microclimate created in urban areas that have less green cover and plenty of hard surfaces absorbing, storing and radiating heat. Uh, so the previous literature through mathematical models, people have determined that if 10% of urban rooftop spaces in city centres were to adopt extensive green roofs, which are shallow green roofs, then we can reduce the urban heat island effect experienced in urban centres by up to 25%. So I would say that over the last 20 years, the way we've changed our view on green infrastructure has grown in the same way that we've learned about the benefits of green infrastructure in climate action, restoring our biodiversity, our health and well-being, and on increasing our resilience in our cities. I'm Jorge Chapa. I'm the head of market transformation at the Green Building Council of Australia. Green spaces like green roofs are crucial in preserving biodiversity in urban areas. They act as stepping stones for pollinators, birds, insects and wildlife. Can actually help link uh, nature reserves to other nature reserves, help migratory species uh, have a place to land, help generate and, and provide the opportunity for insects or butterflies to recreate ecosystems that have been lost in, in the city, essentially. By linking nature reserves, gardens and insect hotels together, cities are creating nature corridors. There are planning frameworks now in Australia that are trying to recreate or create natural corridors between greenery, because that's really how we actually can increase our biodiversity values in cities. And so it's about maximizing the opportunities that that creates, right? So creating a natural corridor from like Headland Park all the way down to uh, say Darling Harbor and creating the appropriate spaces for that to happen, or in Melbourne, recreating some of the greenery that's been lost over decades because we've um, decided to concrete everything up. Have you heard the saying, if you build, they will come? Well, in the case of the Biosolar Green Roof Project, this is certainly the case. Robert found an increase in biodiversity on their green roof. We found that there was a nine times increase in the insect population both in diversity and abundance. And there was a fourfold increase in the avian or the bird population. So where we saw only one bird species on the conventional roof, we saw four bird species on the green roof. From spotted doves to currawongs, ravens to magpies, 
there were quite a few visitors to this green roof. Magpie stole a temperature logger and we've got it on camera. <laughs> well, like, oh, we caught you uh, red-handed. But magpie thieves aside, one seriously surprising finding was evidence of a possible predatory bird on the green roof, nine stories high in Sydney CBD. Yeah, so uh, super, super, super exciting uh, for us. Kind of gross to, to have to experience in person, but very exciting in retrospect is the, uh, we went up one fortnight um, and I found a bird carcass. It had been predated upon by presumably a, a, a carnivorous bird species, a predatory bird species, which indicates that there was a, a complete food web providing shelter and nutrients to smaller organisms, which then become food for larger organisms, which then attract birds. The birds will come to the roof. Um, they can eat all the insects. And then uh, when you have birds on the roof, you're going to have predatory birds. Cities around the world have introduced voluntary and mandatory regulations for the installation of green roofs. For example, the city of Basel in Switzerland has made green roofs compulsory for new buildings with flat roofs. In North America, Toronto has a green roof bylaw requiring new developments above a specific size to have a certain amount of green roofing. I asked Jorge from the Green Building Council of Australia if a mandatory policy could benefit Australia. So this, this is happening more and more because cities are recognizing the value that green roofs have in, say, reducing the heat load or the, the, the heat island effect in buildings, for example, and the benefits of biodiversity and just uh, potentially helping manage air pollution, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think you can safely say that we will be able to introduce mandatory policies in the next year for every building to have a green roof. But I would strongly encourage policymakers to really think of green roofs as a very viable uh, solution where a little bit of incentives would really go a long way to creating more knowledge about how to build them and just make them more standardized or more, more typical in our cities. So yes, um, I would say that as, a, as an opportunity, it's there and the suite of policies needs to be mixed, uh, in some cases mandatory, in some cases voluntary, but it would be great to have that additional level of help from government. Dr. Peter Erger hopes their research project will bring an industry-led approach. I'm hoping some of the data also leads to a bit more of a market-led result approach where companies and uh, and people, building managers, for example, or, or any big corporate uh, companies, they lead the approach as opposed to governments making a mandatory approach. Um, I want to see companies be a little bit more sustainable minded and, and um, lead the way in this space. And I'm hoping some of this data can lead to that. An example of a voluntary initiative is the Green Building Council of Australia's Green Star Rating. It's intended to rate how sustainable a building is. Uh, that's essentially how it works. And it's completely voluntary. You're, you're not really required to do it. We're not a government body. We're an industry association. Um, the value of Green Star, though, is that it allows you to tell to your tenant, I am leasing you or I'm selling you 
a, a green building, right? A sustainable building and it's energy efficient and water efficient and it's healthy and it's resilient and it, it's a great place, right? All of those things that people care about their buildings. Uh, and so it has a market value. And nature is a category within the Green Star rating. For the past few years, we've actually taken the view that we can use Green Star to encourage the adoption of more nature into buildings, uh, green roofs, green spaces, biodiversity, and so on. And so there's been a big change in the rating system where the what, what we talk about uh, the, the nature piece, right? That's how, what we call it, nature category, uh, has some significant encouragement to for building owners to use greenery in their buildings, in green roofs or green walls, and throughout the landscaping. So what is holding us back from embracing green roofs? Look, unquestionably, having a green roof is a more expensive proposition, unfortunately. There's no way around it. You you need to uh, build for a green roof. You need to have uh, drainage or you need to have a stronger structure for the roof. Uh, you know, if it's a light roof, you can't just randomly put in a bunch of uh, greenery on top of it. You actually have to plan for it. So there is a cost to that. Uh, there's also a cost to the upkeep that maybe that does need to be considered. As simple as it sounds, integrating green roofs and um, solar panels, it's still so very new. I mean, this project is the only one that is in Sydney. So I think it's it's about demonstration um, and it's about getting awareness out there. Once the industry builds and there are enough demonstration projects to show that not only does it work, but it's also fine for your building, um, it, it will take off. Jorge agrees that having more demonstrations could help to increase the uptake of green roofs. So uh, the, the technical solutions are there. The, these are also problems. Now it's just a matter of bringing them to a situation where it becomes economically feasible. Um, and that over time, people are demanding more and more the use of green roofs. Dr. Peter Erger hopes that the research that he and the team have done for Australia's first biosolar research project can aid in creating a greener future. Well, I just hope the data is used to answer some of the questions that um, people felt remain unanswered in Australia. Of course, what I want to see, and I think a lot of other people want to see, is that we have enough plants in and on our buildings and around our urban areas so that we can achieve climate resilience. Ultimately, we want a green city. We don't want these big cavernous concrete environments where it does not resemble what we want the future of our cities to look like. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for your company.